Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance His kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. Today we're going we're gonna to close up a series we've been looking at as far as our connection series. Uh, we do have the podcast available. If you miss, you're like, man, I didn't know we were in a series. I didn't know a series was going on. We covered three different series. The first series covered our greatest connection that we have to have in our life, and first and foremost, is with God. And then last week, we looked at the importance of, of being connected to the church, that the church is a, is, a, is a part of our lives that is just as critical in our life as far as our, our church connection. So we talked about church connection. We talked about the FAST acronym. You know, what do, what do you need to have in your life to make sure that, you know, you are having an awesome um, church connection? What, was, what did the F stand for? I can re-preach it. You got it? You, you going to save everybody? Faithful. What does the A stand for? Available? Christina, you can save them all. She's seen it in my office. What does the S stand for? Submitted? What does the T stand for? Teachable. So we talk about the FAST acronym being faithful, available, submitted, and teachable. Those are the things that really cause, man, cheat sheet, who hooked them up? Just those things when we talk about a church connection, those are the things that allow us to optimize our potential in the life of the church. If we align ourselves with each of those four, man, there is nothing that we can't accomplish and nothing that God won't do in and through us. But the moment one of those things kind of get out of line or we're not, we don't really see that, that fruit of that area in our life, we got to have the grace of God to kind of work those things out so that we can optimize our potential. So I said the podcast on those two. So today we are going to look at the, the connections uh, focus of the family. Okay, the family connection. How many of you know that the family connection, co- it controls and it affects every single other area of your life? How many of you are, will be honest with me and said this morning before you, you came to church, y'all got in a fight or you got in an argument or didn't go as planned? At least two honest people. You know, I mean, I think that's the, the, the raw reality. The family dynamic is real. It's alive. It doesn't always go like we expect. But when the family is thriving, everything else thrives. When the family's falling apart and there's strife and there's dissension and there's frustration, only a fake smile when you walk in the church will fix it. Pretending it's okay, right? You know, but when that family connection is strong and, it, and it's established like God desires, man, we will thrive, Okay. So one of the greatest systems that God has established for our well-being in the human race has been the structure of the family. So God created the human race. He didn't necessarily need us, but he wanted us. You guys realize that? He didn't need us, but he wanted us. He wanted relationship. He wanted family. He wanted community. He wanted fellowship with us. Right? So we see even in the Garden of Eden that dynamic happening where there was relationship with man, there was relationship with God, but we see this living together, this family community that was happening. So God created mankind in his image, male and female he created them, right? You know, he made, it, he made them to rule and reign and subdue and fill the earth. That was the command that he gave us, okay? So in order for the family concept to work, it has to be modeled after God's original plan for the family, One man and one woman raising godly children with the principles and statutes of the Lord. So I'm super excited about what we did this morning, dedicating our children. We got to do that. Now, some of us maybe formerly didn't do that. We didn't get a certificate. But when we've had our first baby, we said, oh, Lord, please help me. I don't know what I'm doing. And even maybe halfway through, oh, I still don't know what I'm doing. And I haven't lived it, but I've heard the stories. They get to the teenage years. Oh, Lord, help me. I'm going to kill this kid, right? You know, like whatever the, the you know, I, I just think the realness, the rawness of the frustration, but the joy, you know, it, it's, it's a joy and a privilege, but it's also the, the, the conflict and the struggle and, and the, the, the hardness, the realness of it, of that family concept. Kids don't always respond like they should, right? Parents don't always respond like they should, Right? 
We don't, you know, we respond wrong and, and the, how we respond models to our kids, what, you know, how they're, you know, like, let's think about this. What if the exact model that my children saw in the home, they became the exact same thing? Like, oh, I mean, somebody would be like, man, that's great. Or somebody's like, oh, hey, you know, you say, hey, don't do that. You know, like, you know, we, we say that you say, hey, do what I say, don't do what I do. The action that the, that the children see at home directly influences what they believe the model and that structure looks like. You are continually cultivating this mindset of what a, what a mother, what a father, you know, uh, should look like. What a husband, what a wife should look like. We are either doing a great job at communicating that to our children or we're doing a poor job. You know, passivity means that really you're probably doing a bad job. You're just like, ah, whatever, you know, like... I'm just tired. I just don't care. I've been married for a million years and I've just, you know, you're just, just passive. You know, I think we need to be, we need to realize that, you know, as long as there are children in the home or there are spiritual children that we have been, you know, that God has graced us with, that we are influenced and impacting their lives, the work is never done. But even for the empty nesters, This morning, in the family concept of what God is establishing as the family, your work is still not done. It has just changed. Okay? So we have to have a balance as as far as what God's principles are. So James 1.27, it says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. So he talks about this religion, this is what I accept. So anytime God says, this is what I expect, this is what I want, this is what I really, really like... Whatever comes next, pay attention to that. So this is what he says, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. So that's the first thing, widows and orphans, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So, so making sure that we're taking care of widows, we're taking care of orphans, but we're also keeping ourselves from being contaminated by the world. That's the type of religion, if you want to use the word religion, that God ultimately loves. There's a whole lot of other religion that he does not love. And anything apart from that that you're calling religion may not be true religion. Does it really take care of those things that God sees as important? God sees the family as important. That family connection is critical. Okay? Psalm 68, 5 through 6. This is going to be our core scripture that we're going to look at. It says, starting in verse 5, and this is defining God. It says, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. Verse six, and this is the most awesome part. It says, God sets the lonely in families. He sets them in families. So maybe this morning you say, you know what, I don't have a family, but you have been placed in a family. There are people to your left, there are people to your right that that hopefully if you want to admit it or not, they are your family. We don't always like it, but it is your family. That is where God has placed you. And then he, he's also, you know, I think that the, the function of the church, that is extended family. That's why I love it so much. You know, you never want to go through a dull moment, come to church. You'll find drama. You'll find a lot of people with different opinions. If we're real with each other, right? If we're honest with each other, but God is, he, he, he is, he is in, the, in the business of, of bringing the lonely, bringing those who are disconnected to the family of God. But he's also established your personal family. So God's plan has always been the family. Within the family, God's structure and constitution of marriage is critical to the health and the stability of the system. So you got to understand, God established systems, and with the system not working like it should, it's either going to work really, really well. Or it's going to work really, really bad. My mom called me yesterday. She had a flat tire. I don't know what happened, but that whole tire separated from the rim. Well, let me tell you, that system of how that was supposed to work was not working correctly. You know, that, that was a catastrophic failure. Now, some of us have seen, you know, you know, sometimes you'll get a small nail and you can put a plug or they can put a patch on it. This tire was beyond repair. It was going to have to be completely replaced. So when I talk about a broken system, a system that is not working like it's supposed to, when we have a family that is completely out of disarray, it's not in the order of God's principles or standards, and it is, is, is completely, the system is broken and not functioning, it's like a tire that completely blows off of the rim. 
And you even ask the question, how the heck can that happen? Well, we ask the same question about a family system that's not working properly. We say, how the heck did that happen? The system's messed up. So when the system is working like it should, you may have nail holes, you may have a few little failures, but you're not going to have a catastrophic failure. You're going to have issues in your family. You're not family if you don't have issues. You realize that? You're going to see that. It's, going to, it's just a part of who it is. But we choose to fellowship together. We choose to be together. We choose to work things out together. Amen? That's what it's all about. So we have to understand that if the enemy can destroy the family, he can impact generations to come. That's what's at stake. I'm super excited that we dedicated uh, children this morning because that is a perfect model that once we set those children apart, we are ensuring generations to come, guys. We are setting them apart before the Lord. So we have to see the family in a larger focus, not just fathers and mothers and children, but grandparents, great-grandparents, spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers, also those uh, that, that, are, are, that are adopted spiritual children that God has entrusted to us. You know, family is not just blood. Do you understand that? It's not always like that. You know, who has God specifically placed under your influence that he is asking you to pull them into your family? We have to realize that, that, there, that there's, a lot of, there's a lot at stake. So here's two principles we have to live by. Sons and daughters of the house, do not cut off the fathers and mothers. I know every now and then, you know, as a man, you get your big boy pants on and you think it's better to just do it by yourself. I got this. But we are, we are cutting off our mothers and fathers from our lives and we need them in our lives forever. A commission to the fathers and mothers in the house. Do not cut off the sons and daughters. Now, there's a balance to that, right? Like if they're not figuring out, yeah, hey, you got married, good luck. Figure it out, baby. But at the same time, as far as once they kind of like get a little bit of stability, there is still a role of influence, a responsibility that you hold in their lives. Don't separate yourself and say the work is done. That's not how God has established the family as a whole. So if the, if the, if the enemy can divide the generations within the family, then he can create orphans. Sometimes this happens if you've lost your mother or you've lost your father at a young age. You understand very real what it is to be an orphan. You say, man, I didn't have a dad to teach me this. I didn't have a mom that showed me these things. And that is an orphan spirit, you know, that you just, you just don't know these things. But we can have, you know, physically present fathers and orphan children because they have cut themselves off from the life of the children. We have to have the fathers continually investing in the lives of the children. Children, you continually need your parents, whether if you know it or not. That is one of the greatest blessings that you've ever been given. Now, there's moments where like, Lord, what did you do? You messed up giving me those parents. Said every kid at some point. Everybody was a child at some point, and maybe you thought that. Lord, you sure you know what you were doing? You put me in that family? Sure that's what I needed in my life? But the moment that we cause a separation, you know, we, we create orphans. So when the enemy wants you to be an orphan, this is what he does. When you are an orphan, you are alone, you're separated, you're isolated, and you're cut off. So then the enemy can destroy you, and he can remove your inheritance. When I talk about in inheritance, this is not just financial. I think sometimes that's part of it. You know, I think, you know, it's blessed that a man can leave an inheritance to his children. But what I am talking is about the spiritual side of this. The spiritual inheritance that can be, that can be given from the great-grandparents down to the grandparents to the, to the parents to the children and from generation to generation to generation. This inheritance, this supernatural spiritual inheritance that, 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 that supersedes generations because of me staying in line with what God has established within the family. You know, I'm a third or fourth generation Christian. My great-great-grandparents decided to serve the Lord. Now, I know some of you said, hey, I'm establishing it right now. My parents didn't know the Lord. I was lost half my life. You are establishing right now today with your life what is going to be influenced in the lives of your family from generations to come. You know, because my heart is that my children are blessed. 
and their children are blessed and their children's children are blessed. And the life I live, the choices I make will directly affect that. I can cut them off or I can release everything that I have to them through the order of the family. But if the enemy can isolate them and I cut myself off from them or they cut themselves off from me, they create orphans and they isolate themselves, then the enemy can destroy them. The moment they're destroyed, the inheritance process stops. And then it's almost like it has to be rebuilt and it starts all over. But what God is wanting within the family is after generation and generation and generation, we see this multiplied blessing happening. And there was a lot of those things that, you know, just being born, I I received. You know, I didn't feel like this overburden of like, you know, just generation of generation of just sinful men, you know, just living out whatever, whatever. I, I was growing up in Christian families. You know, and I look back to my great-great-grandparents, and I say, man, thank you. I didn't even know them. I met my great-grandparents. All they spoke was Spanish. I needed my grandparents to translate. But they made a choice to follow the Lord, and it has greatly affected me today. Inheritance, this blessing, this multiplication that happens from generation to generation. Spiritual impartation. Joshua 24, 15. It says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. But for as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So if we look at this, who is setting the pace and the tone for the structure of the home? Man, if you haven't noticed, it was the man that set the home in order. He said, for me and my home, you think you went up to the kids like I'd go up to Samuel and say, hey, Samuel, you think it's okay if? Heck no. The father established the, the, the authority in the house, in the home that affected his whole family. He established it. Okay, the, the, the authority and the influence that the, that, the, that the man has within the home, it can actually change the spiritual condition of the home. Man, you have to know that the home is your responsibility and you have been given authority by God established in Christ to lead your homes. You understand that? I know some of us were never taught that and maybe we didn't know that and that's a big revelation for you today, but you set the pace of your home, man. The moment your wife asks you, hey, what do you think about this? Don't say, uh-uh. I'm guilty of it too. It's like, I don't, I don't care. You know, you, you're the wife. You're raising the children. You're... So what we're doing, we are releasing, relinquishing all of our authority that God has given us as men in being influential in the lives of our children and we've given them to the spouse. I'm telling you guys, this is, this, is, this, is, this is church breakdown. This is not just the world. This is where the church is failing. We're letting the, the mothers completely mother and nurture, but the fathers are not fathering the children. I can point fingers, I guess, at the fathers this morning because I am one. We have to be proactive in the approach in training our children and teaching them what God expects and holding them accountable to a high standard because that's God's standard. Okay? So one of the biggest, this, this, the biggest strategies that the enemy has is to remove the fathers from the home. I've seen this happen. You know, the authority and, and influence that they have, it is critical to the success of the family. So we don't, want, we don't want the father physically present but spiritually absent. Men, you have to lead. You have to be proactive. Ask God what to do and he'll show you, but then be willing to do it. You understand that? God will show us what to do as fathers. All right, so let's quit, quit picking on the men for a minute and look at the family as a whole. All the men said, amen. Colossians 3, 18 through 21, starting in verse 18. It says, wives, you listening? All right. Submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children. Where's the children at? A whole bunch of them in here, right? I don't, I don't want to listen to this. Obey your parents in. Look at that word right there. Obey your parents only when you want, only when it's convenient. Only when it's, there's something in there for you. It, it says, obey your parents in all things. 
Kids, say all. What if I don't want to? Say all. In all things. And all the parents said, amen. (laughs) Don't abuse that privilege, parents. Okay? It says, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Verse 21, fathers, do not embitter or provoke your children, or they will become discouraged. So if we look at that word uh, embittered or provoked, in the Amplified, it says, you know, do not, do not irritate or exasperate your children. So this means, you know, don't give them demands that are trivial or unreasonable or humiliating or abusive. Don't show favoritism or indifference, Okay. You know, don't ever say, oh, you're great, but you're, but you're horrible. Like, you I mean, don't, do, don't compare child to child if you have more than one child in the home. Don't compare them uh, to, to children. Why don't you be like Mr. Johnny over here? Look, he's great. What are you doing? Like, don't do that. That's what it's talking about. It, you know, it, say, it says that you should not, you should treat them tenderly and with loving kindness. This is why. So that they will not lose heart and become discouraged or unmotivated. You, have the, you, you can break their spirit. And once this happens, it is hard to restructure and build that back up. Notice that instruction was to the fathers. Guys, I'm sorry I'm preaching so hard to you this morning. But God has placed you in a very strategic, important, critical role in the family. He's given us a lot of responsibility, but he's also given us a lot of guidance. I know I'm really bad sometime about teasing Samuel. Sorry, son. You're in the message today. But it's just fun. You know, I see a lot of myself in my son when I used to get irritated and aggravated. And, you know, as a father, man, sometimes I just want to poke at that and see how much will come out. And it keeps coming. That's what God is saying. Don't do. Okay? Do not <laughs> evoke. You know, don't, don't cause them to get mad and angry and, and, and break their spirit. So as funny as it is, the reality is real. God gives us guidance. He says, don't do that. So today, for the church to survive, men and women have to thrive at being great fathers and mothers. We also need the older generation to father and mother the current generation raising kids. So that'd be like your grandparents helping you figure it all out, right? Asking those questions. Sometimes you get in, a, get in a situation, don't know what to do, call mom. Don't be, don't be so prideful and arrogant that you don't call your mom or call somebody's mom. Mom always knows, right, when you don't. This is, this is the key. The oldest generation should always be striving to impart as much, to, to strive to impart to as many generations forward as possible. You're like, well, how many, how many generations? Well, how, how many are possible? If there's three or four, then push three or four generations forward and try to impart, to invest, to to, to show them everything you know, to expect and command that blessing in their life, okay? Let's look at Titus 2, 1 1 through 8. Titus 2, 1 through 8. So this this, uh, covers guidance to, to various people groups, it, it, cover, it covers all of them. So I'm just going to read this to you because I believe this gives us specific instructions from the Bible in what the family dynamic, what the family concept should look like. So, so two, starting in verse one, this is where it starts. It says, you must teach what is in accordance with sound doctrine. So that means teach what is right, teach what is biblical, make sure that it is solid. It is not just an opinion. It's not just because you feel like it, but it is consistent, proven, tried and true. Okay. Starting in verse 2, it says, Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Verse 3, Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to to love their husbands and their children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, uh, to be kind and to be su- subjected to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Verse 6, similarly, uh, similarly encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an, an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech. They cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. 
Okay, so if we look at that guidance, you know, that, that talks about a, it talks about a teaching process and it talks about a training process. Know that these are two different words and they're applied a little bit differently. So when we talk about the word teaching, okay, because it says some are to, it says teach the older ones, you know, and then it says to train the younger ones, okay? So when we say the word teaching, this is an idea or principle taught by an authority, Right, so it could be the process of like what we're doing this morning that we are. I am teaching parents what God expects. I am teaching God, you know, the, the adults what 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 God's standard is. There is a teaching process, right? So when we talk about training, this is the action of teaching a person uh, a particular skill or a type of behavior. Okay, so teaching. It, it focuses on what's being taught from a form of communication, visual aids, different things like that. Um, of, of what should be taught, you know, um, but it's not necessarily actively practicing something, okay? So during that training process, it's, it's, in, it's important and critical that the individuals involved are, are to figure out what is expected. When I think about training a child, that is what I am ultimately, my ultimate goal is to train them to know what should be expected, Right, you know that the, the, the right results, the right responses are already happening. They are being trained to make the right choices, and not say, "Hey, Dad, what do I do in this situation?" Well, that's what you're supposed to do, son. Or like, you know, that the the right responses are already happening. Okay, um, you know, so we need to actively practice getting the right results and performing the right tasks. So the best measuring stick to evaluate the training. You know, uh, are individuals or children practicing what they have been trained to do because they want to, not because they have to? That's that's where we really start getting to the heart of what is the, what is the you know a model that God expects. Do are our children doing what we ask of them because they want to serve us and they want to honor us and they want to do what they're asked to do? Do you know why it's so important to learn this as children? Because the same expectation happens to us towards God. We should be doing what God already expects of us, what He's asked us to do, because we know what He wants. And we do it because why? We love God, and if we love God, we'll do what He says. If our children, if you really love your parents, you will do what your parents say. When you don't do what you're asked to do, that is pretty much saying, if you want to say it, I do not love you. I do not care what you have to say. Whatever I'm doing at that moment is more important than what you're asking me to do. But if we learn that as a, at a young age, we'll be able to continually learn that as we serve God because it's the same process. Our response in the home is the same thing in our response towards God. You know, so it covers some of those concepts. You know, it covers about, you know, um, you know, I was looking at some of these of what it was talking about. It says, you know, not to be slanderers, not to be ad- addicted to much wine. It was, and it was referencing the older women. What was happening in those scriptures? It's not like I'm saying, okay, women, quit drinking. You know, pay attention to what you're doing. What he was doing in that scripture, he was focusing on the issues of the times. So what we have to do as a church strategically, we have to say, Women, what are we struggling with that are distracting us from our duty and our responsibility of what God is wanting us to do? Has it changed? Hopefully, you know, to some degree, you know, is it, you know, but I believe that there are still things that are at stake in our lives that are causing us to be distracted from our main responsibilities. Maybe I'm just too busy. Maybe I'm tired. Maybe I'm distracted. You know, every mom that I know, for the most part, with children in the home, are overworked and tired. When I look at when I look at a consistent strength, it's just like man, man, how how much more can I flex? And that's always the question because it just keeps getting stretched more and more and more. Mom can't say no, and and you never get a break. So maybe moms, you got to find chances to rest. Husbands, maybe you got to take the kids. And I always say, oh, so I'm babysitting tonight. Fathers, you're not babysitting when they're your own kids. Got to remind myself. So I'm babysitting. She's like, what do you mean babysitting? So am I always babysitting? No, when you're the, when you're the father, they're your kids. You're not babysitting. They're your kids. So, so maybe, you know, when we look at that, we need to give them a break. You know, maybe, maybe husbands are tired. They're weary. They're stressed out. You know, uh, we got to look at the dynamics. And, and, and I don't have all those answers for today, but I think when we look at that, it's saying what are the critical components that are causing the family to deteriorate? What are the things we need to refocus on? 
that are causing us not to be great fathers and mothers and to be short with our children. Because when we're short with our children and we respond incorrectly, it does not build them up. It does not model what God wants and expects. Ever. You're like, well, they don't care. They're little. They'll forget it anyway. No, it can make a mark on their life forever. I'm sure some of you have some horrific stories that say, man, I remember when my parents, and you don't even want to talk about it. Little things that the parents didn't even mean to do. They had a bad day. They had stress. They got fired from work, and they took it out on you, and it's affected you today. You know, we don't want to do that the best that we can. Does God give us grace when it happens? Absolutely. When we mess up, should we apologize to our children? Absolutely. But I think we have to target the issues that are causing the family to be separated. So it says that we teach the older men and the older women, then they can train the younger men and women, and then the, the, the younger men and women can train the children. You see this process that's happening, this system that's in place of where everything is being taught and passed down, and, and, and it's just this, this, this process that I believe God wants. We need to have proactive mothers and fathers. We need to have proactive grandmas and grandpas, aunts and uncles. We need to have these family systems connecting with each other, being connected. How many of you would say maybe this morning, you say, man, you know what? I consider my family as straight up dysfunctional, <laughs> or at least to some degree. You look at it across the board, you're like, my family don't look like somebody I want helping raise my children. But we have to understand that there's an enemy of this world messing it all up. We have people that have made sinful, wrong choices and have caused the system of the family to be fractured to where it'll never be. But one of the greatest things of the local church is that God will bring people to be what you need to raise your family, to get wisdom and counsel as parents, that they have the answer for you. My brother has a little baby and just watching him raising, I was like, clueless. You know, they, they, turned, they had the, you know, which I guess he's, he's can I say it? Should I say it? Don't say it? Okay. Okay, I'll stop there. So he was doing something that I was like, man, is he supposed to be doing that? I asked Bay, he said, well, not really. But I was like, I said, hey, you ain't supposed to be doing that. Well, whatever. You know, like, I just see things that I was like, the only reason I learned that because my wife taught me that. And I was like, you can't do that. You know, so I was, you know, but just watching to where like, man, intervening on behalf of the child. Because ultimately, deep down, like as parents, we don't want to kill our kids. Right? You know, th we think about that concept. We want to do a great job and we want to do the best we can, you know, but, you know, just watching him, you know, because there's a learning curve, but there's also a teaching curve that I want him to know, right? He's not my son, but he's my brother. But there's a big age gap. You know, so I think it's finding those opportunities to influence and to teach and to train and say, hey, let me show you something. Check this out. Let me pick a good one that that my wife will let me share. I, t I tell you what, teething tablets. When your, te when your kids start cutting teeth, those are the greatest gift ever that God created. No more? I can't. Got to find some from somewhere. You can't use teething tablets anymore? Oh, man, those were things. Hey, they were great for my kids, and they turned out all right. I'm going to quit sharing about that. I'm going to move on. Can't find a good one, man. Like, those are my success trades for life for getting my kids past the age of three. I have to read some newer, newer books from 2020. All right. So the heartbeat of all of these passages, guys, is, to, is, is about multi, a multi-generational process. What role do I play in this picture of making great kids, making great children, instilling and creating a legacy of godly generations? Okay? You know, God is raising up godly generations. God wants us, and he wants the next generation. As crazy as things are getting, you have to understand, God cares about the next generations. 
You say, well, they're more messed up than they ever. Yeah, but God still loves them just like he loved us when we were that generation. God is after the hearts of generations. And if God's heart is for generations, our heart has to be for generations. We can't just abandon them and orphan them and say, well, whatever, go your own way. We need to begin to adopt them into the family and invest in their life the best that we can. Okay? Uh, Proverbs 22.6. Many of you know this passage and you've quoted this passage. It says, train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. So make sure, you know, this isn't just telling about, this isn't just talking about. This word that they use here is what? Training. This is hands-on skills. This is actively, we just don't talk about praying, but we are going to pray. This isn't just talking about acts of service. This is performing acts of service. This is a training process. This isn't based on just mom and dad's religion, but this is allowing our children to have their own religion and actively be involved in it. This, this, this teaching and training process has to happen. Okay, The training process will instill the results you want, not just necessarily showing them what they should do. That's the difference. Did you hear the difference there? That, that they see what the, res, the results that, you, that they need to have. Okay, Instilling the results you want. Not just showing them what to do. I had a chance yesterday to get Samuel to cut my front yard for the first time. Hallelujah. Been waiting since he was in that car seat to get some help. But, uh, man, he's seen me do it a long time. I showed him how to do it, and then I sent him loose. And for those of you who know me, I am a yard guy. So he was done, and he, you know, he's huffing and puffing. The, the mower he got is not self-propelled. So he's leaning in with all, with all that 85 pounds that he has in him, and he's cutting it, and I'm sitting there, 70 pounds. Okay, he's lighter than that. So I'm sitting, man, I'm sitting in the shade, sitting in the chair, man, I, I have arrived. So, so he comes back, and, I say he's, and he's dragging the mower back, already disengaged, it's turned off. I said, are you done? He goes, yeah, yeah, Dad. I said, come here, let me show you something. I said, look, you see right there, it looks a little mohawk, you know, like, you know, we missed it. So I explained, I said, let me show you son, why you missed that. You see these tires right here? If you put the tire right on it, you'll never cut enough of it. This is teaching, guys. This is, this is beyond. I could have just said, oh, yeah, it's good. Let's go inside. But I want him to do it well and to do it excellent and to know when he messes up. Come on. We're talking about mowing, but this, this will tie into spiritual things later. You understand that? So I said, this is why you did it. And then, then we, in, our, in our yard, there's this little ditch part in that ditch part was hard on him. I'd watch him come out of that ditch, and he's, he'd kind of get that running start and go and try, try to get under it. And so what he, what he did, I didn't tell him. I saw him do it. I'm sitting here watching him. So instead of going to the ditch, he stopped like four foot and cut across. He was avoiding the ditch. So I let him, let him finish. And I said, hey, look right here. Come here. You see this part right here? You stopped just short of the ditch. Now I know it's hard on him, but I don't want him to stop short of something that's hard and not finish what God is asking him to do. In his life. How many of you know there's going to be things that are hard? When we're little, we don't understand that. Right? Raising babies for the first time. It's hard. We don't know what we're doing. God doesn't want us to stop short because it got difficult. He wants us to hit the mark every time. So I, so I showed him that. I showed him that. And he, and he pulls the mower like he's taking it to the backyard. I said, what are you doing? He's like, I got to finish it, Dad? I said, yeah, you do. So then I left him. And I left. I left. And then he's coming around the backyard, bringing the mower around. I went and inspected that yard, and guess what he did? He fixed everything I asked him to fix. Good job, bud. But though, that's what I'm talking about, the difference between teaching and training and setting the bar and, set, and showing where you mess up, but then he grows from that. I guarantee you, next time, every time that he begins to cut, because you're going to keep cutting. Sorry, man. It's one of one-time life skill. He says, oh, I know how to cut now, Dad. I'm never doing it again. But he will begin to pay attention to those things that he has been taught and trained to pay attention to. That's what we have to do from generation to generation to generation. Some of you older men in the room, you're looking at, our, at us raising kids and you're like, y'all are, what are you doing? You have advice for us. We need you to speak into our lives. We got to have it. We don't know what we're doing. We're missing all kinds of spots in the yard. And we're like, I guess it's good. And you're just sitting there like, ah. Oh. And God's giving you the wisdom to begin to pinpoint those things in our life, but we need your help. We have to continually invest in every single generation. 
Why? Because the generations before us invested in us. You hear that? We can't stop. It does an injustice when we don't. So we must train our children with a consistent method that will ensure their success in the future. So the best tool for this, guys, is God's Word. There's no other tool that I know of that, that, that will give you the most guidance that you need to be successful with your children. You say, well, I don't know what to do. Just start looking through the Psalms, look through the Proverbs, read the, read the parables, read the stories of Jesus, and just make sure your kids are exposed to those. Ask questions. They'll, they'll cause you to ask your own questions. Mom and dad, what does that mean? And you'll like really be like, I really don't know, son. And you'll make something up because that's what parents do. <laughs> You're like, well, I think, you know, we got to have the answer, right? You know, because we're the adults. Rather than saying, man, I don't, that is a great question. You know, my daughter, sorry, kiddos, y'all getting used a lot in this message, but and she always sees the cup half full. You know, we were talking about, you know, Garden of Eden and, you know, the, the, the devil and, you know, and, you know, how he was cast out of, you know, heaven because he sinned. He wanted to be greater than God. And, you know, she says, man, you know, what if the devil just would have never done that? Like, she feels bad for the devil. <laughs> it's just a different perspective for me. Like, you know, it's just but she sees the cup always half full, but that's her heart. You know, I'd be like. Forget that, just curse the devil and like, you know, like, what are you, but I have to, I have to tap into that, but that she is built in a totally different way. Um, man, we caught a mouse the other day. I always kill them. I'm sorry, they're just, to me, they're going to continue to multiply. Man, she looks at me with them puppy dog eyes and goes, Daddy, do we really got to kill it? I said, well, I can go throw it in the field. I said, it's just going to come right back. I know it, but my daughter was there. So I catch the mouse. Now, how many of you, I don't like them. I don't want to mess up. But for the sake of my daughter and her heart and how she's wired, her daddy that did not want to save that mouse caught that mouse in my hands. I, I had a bag. I didn't catch it. I didn't want it to bite me. But I, I caught the mouse and we go outside. I said, all right, you ready? We throw it. And they go out there and look at it, and they're like, all right, come on. So each child is built different, right? Just because that's their perception doesn't mean that they're wrong. We just have to know how our children are wired so that we know how to teach them and we know how to train them. They don't think like we think. They don't process like we were. I was just like, why are we messing with this? I was like, made no sense to me. But it's finding those moments to train a child in the way they should go. To speak to the child's heart. If I don't care about what my, what my daughter cares about now, she may not care about what she cares about later. That she wants dad involved in that. So I better care about the little insignificant things, guys. So the deposit of God's word within our children is the only guarantee that a child will be changed. I'm going to say that one more time. This is humongous, Okay. The deposit of God's word within a child's heart is the only guarantee a child will be changed. Okay? So the word will keep our children on a path towards God and foster a deep relationship with him. That's the only thing that's going to do it. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean if you're an A-plus parent, they are, they are guaranteed they're going to go to heaven, they're going to know Christ. Unless the word gets in and changes their heart, it's a hopeless cause. So when he, when, when he says, train a child in the way, teach the Scripture, impart that Scripture, put that Scripture in to embed it within their DNA, and they'll never be able to turn away from it because it'll transform them. And it'll cause, it, that seed that is deposited at some point will come to life in their life. Okay, let me keep moving. So um, Exodus 20, 12 through 16, this is the Ten Commandments. It talks about, you know, it says, Honor your father and mother so that you may have long life in the land of the Lord your God is given you. Okay, so this is, this is a command from you kiddos, you know, to honor your mother and father, doing what they expect, doing what you're asked, even sometimes kiddos when you don't want to do it. Kids, you ever get a chance to do something you don't want to do? Often, right? When we honor our parents, God promises us long life. 
That's an awesome gift for our obedience. Something we got to do. 1 Peter 3, 7. Just going to hammer on a few more things and we'll wrap up. Just these family concepts, this family connection, just the critical components. 1 Peter 3, 7, it says, Husbands, in the same way, be considered as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner inherits as, as, you, as, your, as a gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. I don't know if your wife has ever pulled this scripture out on you. But what it is saying, how you treat your wife, man, can affect your prayer life. So, man, you better treat her right. God takes it as a personal offense when you don't treat your wife right. I shared a story a few weeks ago about that, man, like being okay with being harsh with my wife. It's not okay, man. How we treat our wife dictates how our prayer life, you know, that, you know, as long as we're treating our wife right, man, our prayers, I believe, you know, God hears those. But when we don't, it can hinder our prayers. You know, we get mad, Lord, why aren't you hearing me? And he's like, why are you not loving your wife, you dummy? (laughs) You know, he's like, because I don't want to. Well, you have to. You know, between God and man, we go to war, right? Like, you're going to win. God sets a high standard, right? Give you this one scripture. This is one of the best ones that I've seen in regards to to husbands and wives. Uh, Ephesians 5.33. It says, however, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Two words here. Love and respect. So now I'm not saying that that always encompasses everything, but deep down there's been studies that say, and this is scriptural, right? You know, it says that if a woman feels loved, it's going to be okay. The the, The moment your wife does not feel loved, man, watch out. It's going to not be a good day for you. Then on the flip side, respect. As long as men feel respected, we're okay. Mess with my respect card and it is on. Can you attest to that, man? Like the moment you don't feel respected and your authority has been, you know, like, oh, really? Like, man, you just see, you just see the ugly come out. So the two greatest needs that, 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 you know, first and foremost that a wife has is to feel love. Know that, man. All the, all the women are like, told you. <laughs> on the flip side, women, your husbands have to feel respected. Let's take this a step further. Do you think this still applies to my children? Oh, he's like, man, you just took that a whole nother. Yeah, absolutely. I know my son wants to be respected, and that's ultimately what's going to grow into his heart. Now, he's still a submission under authority, but ultimately, he still wants to be respected. Like, you know, think about it. You know, like every kid says, Dad, I want to be a man. You know, like, you know, that's just the utmost, like, you know, he'll show, he'll show me his muscles. It's like, yeah, like, I see him right there, you know, the <laughs> They're growing, but you know, he, you know, he wants to be a man. He wants to be respected. What do you think my daughters want? To be loved and to know that they're loved and they're perfect and they're beautiful. They're worthy of my attention. That trait never changes as you get older. It just, you just get a little, lot more personal with it where you expect it. And if you don't get it, you, then you have a hissy fit, right? So love and respect. Maybe that'll help some of you couples maybe in the room. I'm not saying it's going to fix everything, but being aware of that. Man, what, am I say, what, am I, is what I'm saying loving my wife is what I'm saying right now. Is it respecting my husband? You might start hearing stuff come out of your mouth like, ooh, that's not respect. Ooh, that's not love. And just allow the Lord to redirect your heart in that, okay? So let's look at two, two scriptures real quick. I'm going to read them in context real fast so we can close. But, but this is how we kind of secure these things. Deuteronomy 11, 18 through 21. And then I'm going to jump to 26 through 28 because uh, I think there's some really good nuggets in here. 
Starting in verse 18, it says, Fix these words of, my, of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your head and bind them to your foreheads. Verse 19, Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Write them on your door frames of your house and your gates. Verse 21, so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land that the Lord swore to you to give to your forefathers as many as the days that are uh, that the heavens are above the earth. And then let's jump down to 26 through 28. In verse 26, 26 it says, see, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. Verse 27, the blessing, if you obey the commands of the Lord your God, that I'm giving you today. Verse 28, the curse, if you disobey the commands that the Lord your God uh, and turn away from what I commanded you today and follow other gods, which you have not known. So we need to be aware of these things, right? So let me start breaking this down just real quick. So first and foremost, we need to have, you know, the little sticky notes, man, if you got to put it on the mirror in the morning and write the words love and respect, do it. Man, if you need to stick it on your lunchbox, love. Whatever, whatever, whatever you got to do to put, you know, scriptures that will help you, that will remind you of God's standard, his expectation, that will help you. You know, I think that's why signage around the house, you know, uh, man, for me and my household, we'll serve God. Put it on a plaque. Put it on the wall. Declare it over your home. You know, it says put them on the doorpost. Put them everywhere. That, that your house is set apart. It's consecrated unto the Lord. Okay. It says, write them, write them on your door frames, put them on your gates so that your days may be many. So then, it, then in that verse 26, it says there's two options here, guys, blessings and curses. Now, in church, we talk about blessings all the time. And how many of you love talking about blessings? Single one of us, right? We don't like the alternative. We don't want to talk about curses because we want to pretend that they don't exist. But the moment that we honor God at His Word... He commands a blessing. When we are disobedient to the word of God, he commands a curse. You're like, would God do that? God is bound by his word. There's nothing that God will do or can do that, that is not in line with the word of God. So it's really simple, guys. Will we align our lives to the word of God or will we do what we want? And we may do what we want for a while, and it may seem okay, but we will get to the place of where we will begin to see that, that curse functioning in our lives. And we will have to turn back to obedience so that that blessing may be released in our lives. So today, eternity and generational inheritances are at stake. What are we going to do? What are you going to do with what God has entrusted you with? Guys, stand up with me and we'll close. Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, please write us at 42 FM 2540 South, Bay City, Texas 77414. Or check us out on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.